Public health is a population-based field of science focused on preventing disease and promoting health. Every week, we will be engaging in interactive discussions and analyses of the latest public health issues affecting you and your communities all around the world. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Hi, my name is Will, and today I'm joined by our panel of professionals, LaShawn, Gordon, and Sully. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. In this episode, we will be discussing a recent article published in The Guardian titled, Coronavirus Could Turn Back the Clock 30 Years on Global Poverty. The article talks about how the economic collapse caused by the COVID-19 pandemic can negatively affect over half a billion of the world's poorest and most vulnerable people. This article reports on a research paper published by the United Nations University's World Institute for Development Economics Research. The paper used data from the World Bank to estimate the economic impacts of COVID-19 on global poverty through declines in per capita household income and consumption. The research estimated three different scenarios of global GDP decline and calculated the impacts of these scenarios on individuals living at various poverty lines. And the notable results showed that even if a 5% consumption decline occurred globally, it would lead to the first increase in income-related poverty since 1990. So I want to start off with a question for our panel here. The article states that COVID-19 could send the world back 10 years, and in some regions, even back 30 years. After reading this article, off the top of your heads, what kind of implications do you think this may have to these various regions around the world? So it, it's relating to one of our episodes where we touched on um, the economic consequences of COVID-19. Uh, in, in a lot of cases, we're going to start to see, um, you know, non-profit or NGOs and maybe um, government financial aid response measures go down as they try to mitigate the damage done in their own countries. So you could expect... Um, countries that depend a lot on on foreign aid in this case where you know you have a lot of countries issuing their economic stimulus packages uh, these uh, low and middle income countries as they start to receive uh, less aid more people will descend into poverty and this will amplify the health disparities that already exist yeah Mm -hmm. good point and uh Another thing that I was thinking about while I was reading this article is the consideration of the actual people that are affected. Now, these are people over the last 10 years who may have been seeing some sort of improvement, some sort of hope. Mm -hmm. And to see that all kind of go back in reverse because of the COVID-19 pandemic, I just, my heart goes out to them really, because it's it's really sad to see that they had this hope and now it, it could it seems like it might be taken away from them in a sense. Right. I think if you look back at even just 10 years, the kinds of technological, societal innovations and change that had happened, and now consider how that could have been affected or reverted because of this pandemic. You know, the, the kinds of economic growth in a lot of these countries in the global south are experiencing all wiped off the map and having to start in the same position they were 10 years ago. And I think these are often regions where they don't have 
a lot of resources, a lot of capacity to begin with. And being forced to go back and catch up on 10 years or sometimes even 20 or 30 years worth of development, you know, it's, it can affect a lot of people. Yeah, and the, the major thing here is you mentioned, you're, you're alluding to the, the kind of sh- the shrinkage of uh, GDP that is expected to result from the COVID-19 pandemic. So one of the things that GDP is typically spent on in you know most countries around the world, even if you don't have a universal healthcare system, is the healthcare system. So as as countries become more financially strapped, you would expect um, whatever progress has been made to develop these healthcare systems to start to dwindle away. So you would expect people who are living um, slightly above or under the poverty line. Um, to be disproportionately affected because now their whatever progress was being made in their country to get healthcare more accessible, for example, is now going to be taken away. So, in addition to loss of income, there will be loss of uh, resources for these people to use to um, maintain good health. Yeah, well, the problem is that for people under the poverty line, you're making them have only two choices either go to work and risk spreading the uh, the virus further and risk their lives in the process or not go to work not gain income and you know risk their lives in another way where uh, you're threatening their food shelter uh, water supply etc cetera, etc cetera. no i think it's important that we when we're talking about global economic impacts to not only look at the global south and countries that are in the middle or lower income bracket, but also to look at ourselves, you know, in at countries that are considered higher income or well developed, right? You know, we can through this look at our own domestic context in Canada, where in March alone over a million people have lost their jobs, and I think that's just a crazy statistic. And without proper interventions, I think things will continue to get worse. Yeah, that's a good point. Will, did you um do you do you know like what the unemployment rate is currently at? And like how would that compare to something like SARS? So in some reports that I've read stated that the Canadian unemployment rate currently is around 20%. And in in comparing that with other major economic events, for example, let's look at the 2008 and 2009 recession globally. The Canadian unemployment rate at that time was hovering around 8.6-8.7%, right? And you mentioned SARS. And from a Canadian national point of view, SARS didn't affect Canada nearly at any of these levels because the economic impact was mostly concentrated around Toronto and the areas in that general area and didn't affect the nation as a whole. So what do you think... What is it about COVID-19 that has ascended it beyond the effects of what SARS did to us? Well, it's the first point I would say is that the sheer number of countries that are affected by COVID-19 versus SARS. Right? If you look at the the rate of infection, COVID, you know, you can, it's double or it's exponentially more than the amount that were affected by SARS. And as a result, industries are completely shut down. Where if you look at SARS... I don't think things were affected to that level. And that partially might have been because of our better understanding of public health 
and overall the strength of our public health surveillance system. Because if you think about it, back in back during when SARS was kind of hitting the world, let's take Canada for example, we didn't have a national public health agency to do this kind of surveillance. So a lot of our actions you know, didn't really account for that. Whereas now we we have the Public Health Agency of Canada and a lot of these measures that we put into place to stop these industries are, I would say, preventative so that to make sure that these industries aren't hit even more and that they don't feel the actual health implications that COVID causes. And, and just an extension to that answer. So the difference between this um, COVID-19 pandemic and maybe many of the other things we've experienced in the last um, 50 years is you have a healthcare crisis that is affecting, you could say, 99% of all countries and territories in the world pretty much at the same time. So when you have, usually you have a natural disaster, uh, for example, the, the earthquake in Haiti. So a lot of countries it's easier to funnel resources when there's one place that is affected. In this case, you have countries that are usually usually provide urgent responses to the lower and middle income countries in need. But now we're finding that um, the larger countries, even like the United States and larger and richer countries, are being affected drastically uh, with their own vulnerable populations. So, for example, in the state of Michigan... Um, the, the African-American population is disproportionately dying from the disease. Mm. Uh, they're, they're about 14%. They make up 14% of the population in Michigan, but 40% of deaths. So what you're seeing is countries, this is um, revealing um, health disparities that already exist in high-income countries because in, in high-income countries, there are also people living below the poverty line. So now countries are providing responses to their own vulnerable populations. And now what we're seeing is uh, or projecting into the future, uh, which explains this model and these projections that we're talking about, is people, more people will descend below the poverty line globally because less is being done for the masses. Mm. So let's bring it to the international stage then. Um, say, for example, India. More than 80% of people working there are part of the informal sector. So these people are not regulated by their government. And the problem with that is that you're not getting aid when you're not working. So any preventive measures you apply there, whether it's social distancing or stop going to work, is not going to work. Because you're making people go through two options, either work or, you know, be hungry. You can't have it either way. Right. So just to add on to that as well. So people working in the informal sector, uh, for example, would be um, people who go out every day to earn a living, whether it's, you know, delivery drivers and such. And those people typically wouldn't be wouldn't have a formal employment where they would get um, things like sick pay or financial benefits from their private industry or the government. So these people who are working in the informal sector would then be, and as we can see in um, as in Sully's example, where the majority of people do not work in the formal sector where they could potentially access these benefits, those people in the informal sector 
are going to be at a disadvantage in times like this where they if they adhere to measures such as social distancing and staying at home and they're living paycheck to paycheck they wouldn't be able to survive they they're not able in the you know we talk about Canada people going out and buying two months supply of toilet paper that this isn't the reality for people who live paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. so people people who live paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. work today to maybe have enough food for tomorrow so they are not able to stay home and stay packed for for you know 14 to 28 days right and another point with a lot a lot of these individuals who live in south or southeast asia who do work in the informal sector a large proportion of them are from the rural areas and have flocked to these urban centers to find work right and when places such as india have placed a lockdown for the whole country restricting travel this leaves many I would say hundreds or thousands of these workers stranded in these urban centers, unable to go home. And not only are they stuck there, they're stuck there without work. So adding on to what Gordon was saying earlier with things like not being able to purchase a, enough supply for a food or essential supplies, you add that on top of things like um, issues of homelessness or anxiety of being separated from family, things like starvation, all of these things get clumped up and continue to affect the populations on top of the health effects that might be felt by COVID. Right. That's a great example. Uh, For example, in our um, society here in Canada, for the majority of the population, dying from something like starvation isn't necessarily a reality for most people. I do acknowledge that there are some people in that boat. However, when you go to lower income countries, um, from a family perspective, my risk of getting you know COVID nineteen and dying is less important than the need to go out and risk my life to get food for my family. Mm-hmm. Right, of course, and even even with those individuals in Southeast Asian countries, they're also struggling with multiple comorbidities, and they're affected by malnutrition and obesity, diabetes. And, uh, and other complications. Yeah. So let's take this topic and look at it from a different angle. After reading the article, I wanted to ask you guys and have the audience and listeners as well think about if it's time to reconsider the UN Sustainable Development Goals as a whole and see how they might be affected due to the economic impacts and also just COVID-19 as, as a pandemic affecting the globe. Yeah. So originally in, um, you know, September, the start of the millennium, uh, so in September 2000, there were eight millennium developmental goals that were established. And these, the goals were, the targets were set to be uh, achieved in 2015. And we've been talking a lot about in this episode, um, poverty reduction targets um, being set back due to COVID-19. And the unfortunate thing is there was a lot of progress made and where COVID-19 might make uh, us on a global stage take two steps backwards. So to add on to that, so once after 2015 hit, the United Nations at the 2015 um, General Assembly came up with a new set of 17 global goals and targets aimed at achieving better and more sustainable future for all. And these 17 goals were dubbed 
the UN Sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs, and they had a target date for 2030. Yeah, so for those of us that are unfamiliar with the SDGs, uh, would you maybe give us some examples of what type of goals these were? Sure. So they're they're overall very holistic, I would say, and cover a lot of different topics. Let's say that. So, for example, goal one in the SDGs is ending poverty. And it's a very, mm-hmm. it's a pretty broad goal, but it's there. And then you have other goals such as um, goal fourteen which is life below water. And it's the sustainability of things like our fisheries and mm-hmm. ocean health. And then you also have something like, um, let's say goal five, which is gender equality, ensuring that um, there is gender equality by 2030. Um, I'm not sure what specific indicators you're using. But it could be um, women's, women's education, women's health, um, uh, could be maternal and infant uh, mortality rates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, so what I wanted to discuss it here is what do you guys think or how do you think these SDGs or our progress towards meeting these SDGs will be affected with COVID, I guess, by COVID-19? Because if we're turning the clock back 10 years, now it's 2020 right now. And we're, if we turn back our development back till 2010, I would say a lot of positive change would have essentially gone down the drain. I I would definitely agree that the SDGs are going to take a hit. For example, in in many countries, as we mentioned, there is going to be a hit on the economy. So many of these people are projected to be below this poverty line. So for example, you have goal number two, no hunger. People may starve because of COVID-19 and the economic consequences. You have good health being affected, which is SDG number three. People who already have compounding health problems and on top of that have COVID-19, it's going to be a nightmare for them and they'll be in dire crises because of COVID-19. Yeah, one of the unintended consequences of COVID-19 is how, what kind of effect it's going to have on globalization. Uh, For example, a lot of low and middle income countries rely on revenue from you know travel and tourism uh, and we made the reference earlier to the informal sector a lot of people that work in the informal sector overlap with the money generated from tourism activities so as people start to maybe get more cash strapped in other countries and start visiting these lower and middle income countries less and less uh, this will also directly affect the income of people living in these lower and, and middle income countries. So it's you're almost going to have a double burden where people who are, you know, more prone to having complications from a COVID-19 diagnosis, they're also going to be earning less money to be able to provide for their family. And then we're going to see more and more people. I think the projections were compared to before COVID-19 and after, um, there will be an additional 500 million people falling below the poverty line. And that will probably be a direct result of that. So if we're discussing changing or improving these SDGs or sustainable development goals, what do you guys think are some improvements we can make? The most obvious one off the top of my head is to extend the target date from beyond 2030. Because... (laughs) At the current rate, 
um, if if things were, did go as the estimates from the study showed, and if we were pushed back, you know, years worth of developmental efforts, then setting a target date of 2030 to, to for as when we achieve these would not be realistic, right? Mm-hmm. And my second point I want to say is that I I think the biggest problem with these SDGs is that now that with COVID countries are rushing to try to catch up to where they once were and this can also have a lot of impact on things like the environment right Mm -hmm, because countries a lot of lower and middle income countries depend on natural resources as a main sector in their national economy and as a main export so I, i can definitely see countries trying to ramp up you know increase the amount of extraction increase the scale of extraction Mm-hmm. in order to scale up their overall national economies to reach a level they weren't were. Yeah, that, you know what? That's an interesting point. And this is actually an interesting point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. So the, what, we're, what we might see is we're, we've been hearing more and more that one of the winners, that, you know, it's hard to think of any winners being in COVID-19, but one of the winners is the environment right now. There's, there's less pollution, less greenhouse gas emission, and you're wondering now if um, governments will start to see the benefits uh, globally to, you know, acting on issues like climate change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'll just mention that lower and middle income countries, um, they get a lot of revenue from exporting, you know, you know, certain commodities and goods uh, that would no longer be in as much of a demand as, um, as we move towards maybe more clean energy. You don't, we don't move around as much anymore, but gas prices are very, 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 very low. And if those countries that export goods and maybe even services that become less of a demand, they're not, they're not able now to rely on those forms of income at the country level. Uh, there are certain commodities that are becoming less valued because there's a lower demand and essentially lower and middle income countries, as we'll mention, who depend uh, a lot in ex- exporting these these goods and commodities, they will receive less revenue, and then you will have you know less. You know, one of the sustainable development goals, I imagine, is for a universal access to healthcare. And once countries uh, start to have less revenue, um, one of the easiest things to deinvest in is the healthcare system because healthcare systems, as we know. You only catch people when they're sick. You know, if you deinvest in healthcare now, maybe you don't see that the diabetes rates are going to, going to go up in 20 years. So mm-hmm. things like healthcare are usually, healthcare and even public health are some of the first things to get cut because the consequences aren't felt for maybe a generation or two. A lot of countries, for example, Canada comes to mind. And I think Gordon mentioned this a couple episodes ago. Doug Ford mentioned that you know, it's unacceptable that we don't have the means to have our own production of like resources such as masks, gloves, etc. So I think as a result of this, countries are not going to outsource these essential items from other countries. It'll cause people in these countries to not be employed and they won't have access to a, a financial income. So it's, it's disrupting them. It, means, it basically means less money for individuals to take home. 
And if there's less money for individuals to take home, we know that socioeconomic status is related to health. So it's just going to cause adverse outcomes in terms of health, among many things. Yeah, and also, you know, work-related migration um, provides a lot of um, opportunity for people who are in those low- and middle-income countries. For example, uh, in the our agricultural industry in Canada, we rely on migrant workers coming up from Jamaica, mm. uh, Mexico, mm. Honduras, and other Central and South American countries. Uh, if we um, are, if we have this mission in Ontario, for example, to become more um, self-reliant and and depend more on the resources and people that are already in our society, this decision will also impact the health and well-being of people living in other countries who maybe even depend on, you know, even income that they should earn. Because we're talking about humanitarian aid, where there's not necessarily a work to earn relationship, you know, in whereas in the migrant field, migrant worker field, they're getting paid for work that they're actually doing. So even people who are working uh, would even be become affected. So I just want to note that the article we looked at and the research that we were looking at, they're just projections. And ultimately, we have to understand and realize that the severity of the consequences of COVID-19 will depend on a couple things. First, it'll depend on how long this pandemic lasts. And second, we need to realize that governments and the international community can still play a huge role in affecting the outcome of any consequences related to COVID-19. So to wrap up, today, this episode, we discussed how the global economic impacts can negatively affect the progress we as a global community have made towards combating global poverty. And related to that, we examined the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals and looked at how this global pandemic can affect our ability as a global community to meet these targets. And it's hard to accept that in the blink of an eye, an additional 500 million people might descend back into poverty as a result of this COVID-19 crisis. In this defining moment, it is imperative that we, as a global community, continue to allocate resources and provide support to some of the most vulnerable populations who are unable to meet the needs of their families and themselves. Thank you for listening. Remember. Public health is a field of inquiry and an arena for action to improve lives one population at a time. This has been the Public Health Insight Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please drop us a like and follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your podcast platform of choice. You can also send us your questions, comments, and suggestions for discussion topics at thepublichealthinsight.gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.